We're going to look up, we're going to start anyway in John 14, verses 8 and 9. If we could find those in our Bibles, or maybe they'll even appear up here shortly. Father, thank you for pursuing us with your love. Thank you for making it possible for us to be thoroughly 100% connected to you. We're not just invited in your family, we're included in your family. And, and, And I'm asking today, Holy Spirit, would you help us hear you, see you, Uh, get a greater revelation of you in this process, in this journey we've taken together. In Jesus' name, amen. So John 14, we've been here many times as a church over over recent years, and uh, I was very struck recently, Philip is interacting with Jesus, just these couple of verses, and uh, Philip said to Jesus, this is in verse 8. Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Honestly, he's, he, I believe Philip is echoing the cry of every human being on the planet, not just the religious ones. Maybe the believers are more aware of this, but there's something inside everybody that says, if we could see God, that would be enough for us. Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough. And Jesus' response is, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? I mean, you could kind of hear he's slightly, maybe, is it it all right to say Jesus was irritated? Certainly maybe frustrated, sounds more spiritual than irritated. But it's like, I've been with you nearly three years now and you still still don't get this, do you? And then he, he proceeds to say that, Have you been with me so long, you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? So Jesus is is frustrated, I think. Jesus is like, you don't get, you still don't get this. I've been with you, I've been displaying this to you. But you've got to see the other side of this issue here. Philip... He's asking Philip to realize something massive, something huge, something never seen before. He's saying to Philip, do you still not get that God in a human body is standing in front of you? Do you still not get it? And and, and in Philip's sort of religious history and Jewish thinking, he is saying, I am the great I am. Here is Yahweh. Here is El Shaddai. Here is all those names of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. Here he is standing in front of you. I have some sympathy with Philip's inability to fully comprehend that what is happening in front of him is the incarnation of God Almighty himself. I mean, hands up if you would be with Philip. I think I'm, I'm in that crowd. But you can see this tension of Jesus saying, you still don't know. You know, sometimes it's okay to be around him and not get it. My hope is that we are producing a church that you can love but not necessarily understand. I'm going to say that again. My hope is that we're producing a church that you can love but not necessarily understand. That might be worth another. My hope is that we're producing a church that you can love, so you like it, but you don't necessarily understand it. 
and that has to be okay. My goal as a preacher probably has never been primarily to bring understanding. My target, most times I'm speaking, is something else. There are actually many better ways to give you understanding and knowledge than someone standing here talking for 45 minutes. If that was the only reason this was happening, we would do it differently. But I don't believe that is, that's certainly not my primary reason. It's a reason, but it's not my primary motivation. So if you come in because you want to collect more understanding, listening to me may be a disappointment if that's your only desire at this moment in time. And I'm cool with that. If they didn't get Jesus and they don't get me, I feel I'm in with the right crowd. Uh, a, a church I visited some time ago and we were talking with some of the leaders and about some of the ideas of legacy and spiritual fathers and mothers and things like this and they made this statement that they'd heard from some of the millennials in their, their church and said, well actually we don't need spiritual mothers and fathers, we have Google. <laughs> I mean, it is funny but they actually it was serious. These 35, 36 and younger group in the church said we actually are not looking to be fathered and mothered by actual people we can look it up in Google Google is enough Google is my mom Google's like my mom it's like my dad I mean my kids ring me up for DIY advice and if I don't get back to them quick enough they've already Googled it and got it on YouTube how to do the toilet system Personally, I'm happy with that because they've probably got a better answer. I have even Googled how to unblock a blocked toilet. It's worth the Google, to be honest, because the number of options are much, much larger than I ever imagined. How to block, unblock a blocked toilet without spending 80 quid calling out a plumber. It's, really, it's just for fun if you don't have a blocked toilet. It's worth looking it up. One of my favorites, which I haven't tried yet, is that you cover the toilet seat with like cellophane or with cling film and then tape it all the way around so you get a nice good airtight seal hold the lid down and then flush and the suction created should shift any detritus blocking the tube it's amazing you see i don't need a, i don't need i don't need a father in diy i just need google i don't need a you're all going to do it when you go home if you remember nothing else from this message like, unblocking a toilet. There's a lot of other cool ways as well. There are a lot of other cool ways to unblock your toilet. I used to resort to the coat hang, you know, the wire coat hanger, and that 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 has some downsides. Put it this way, <laughs> depending on what's blocking the loo. But we we could get off on a really big tangent here because it's funny. But I just want you to know that that our hope is that we're producing a church you can love and not understand. That preaching is more about something else than just comprehending it. And that spiritual parenting and discipleship has more content to it than Googling. Is that a word these days? I'm sure Googling is, is a word, isn't it? It's Googled. It used to be, it used to be a, a cricket, a, a ball delivery from a bowler. 
I'm sure they stole it from that. It was a googly. See, now that's something you learned today. You learned something from me today. That, that you can take that to the bank, it's true. So here we have Jesus frustrated, Philip confused. Jesus thinks he's done enough to convince Philip of this incredible reality. Philip is still really not getting it. But the great thing is Philip's still around. He hasn't checked out because he doesn't get it because something else is going on that's really important. Philip's experience of Jesus is yet to translate into full understanding of Jesus. Philip's experience of Jesus is yet to translate into understanding of Jesus. Philip's experience of Jesus is yet to translate into understanding of Jesus. Jesus is not asking for understanding in order for him to be experienced. He's bringing him into an experience that over time he intends to lead to understanding. Uncomfortable for us lot as a process. So why did they stick around such a confusing, unconventional, radical, controversial guy as Jesus? We're going to go to another passage in John 6 and verse 52, one of my favorite passages. John 6, 52 we're going to go into. nothing in this passage about unblocking toilets we'll read it from here then the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves how can this man give us flesh to eat Jesus said to them I tell you the truth unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in you (laughs) keep going whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood This is the sermon today. Hope Church, I'm one of the elders. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part in this family. It sounds like a cross. I was trying to figure out what universe is it all right to say that in. Maybe a movie that is like Dracula meets the zombie. You know, flesh eating. I, I don't know what universe it's all right in, but it certainly wasn't all right where he was. For my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. Guys, in hopes, read, we've got this coming. This awesome passage about eating Jesus is flesh and drinking blood. The New Testament revelation. Now, you may sit there thinking, well, maybe it's about, you know, communion, but they didn't know that. Whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, remains in me, and I in him. Let's keep going. Just as the, living, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Let's keep going. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing this, many of the disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? I'm in. Are you in that group? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? (laughs) 
come on. At the end of this meeting, the appeal is, come and sink your teeth into my arms, beloved. I just siphoned off a pint of my best for you to take a sip of. I mean, I would be grumbling and complaining. The Spirit, then he says, what if the Son of Man ascended to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. You've just told us to eat flesh. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Keep going. I love this passage. I'm having a great time with it, even if you aren't. Here we go. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one could come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. <laughs> you do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. <laughs> yeah, actually, if this is the deal, I'm checking out right now. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Do you think they understood I think they were offended. I think they were confused. Understanding is not in the picture for most of the people listening to this. The only person that understands what's being said is Jesus. And he, he has put it out there in the starkest terms possible that eternal life is all about chomping down on a good arm of Jesus. A bit of rump. Jesus style. I mean, he's just spoiled the revival. The, just before this, he's fed the 5,000. The crowds are coming to him. It's exciting. People are getting healed. There's momentum happening. And then he stands up and gives this kind of message that just sounds crazy. And people start to turn away, except for a few. And he even gives them the option to clear off. It's not about, to, to Jesus, success is at numbers. It's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> I did come to this passage to help us, by the way. We will get there. Just, just stay tuned. Just stay in the room for a little bit longer. <laughs> comprehension, neither comprehension nor comfort kept these disciples in the room and on the team with Jesus. This was not a comfortable moment and this was not a sensible moment. This was not a moment of deep and profound understanding. They were tuned in and connected and staying for a different reason to comprehension. <laughs> it's interesting, 1 Corinthians 2 says, if the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. They had discerned something. And their answer is, where, where are we going to go? You've got the words. You've got the, he says it himself. He says, my words are spirit and life. And then Peter says, thank God for Peter. We're hanging around here because you have the words of eternal life. Why they, hang, they, they, they were experiencing something that they couldn't explain or didn't understand. They were experiencing life. Even crazy words from Jesus had life in them. You know, Jesus' words, God's words in the mouth of the devil can kill you. Crazy words in the mouth of Jesus can give you life. 
Just think how the devil quotes scripture to Jesus, precisely, accurately quotes it to Jesus, but his goal and the, and the motivation, and if you like, the anointing on those words was murder, not life. They were true, but they were death. Jesus says something crazy, and it's full of life. To those of you sitting in this room, that is a very stretching idea. That something you don't understand could actually do you good. They were drawn by life, not mental comprehension. And there's plenty of evidence through the New New Testament stories that these disciples often didn't get it. But they didn't go away. Even when Jesus is about to ascend, it's clear they don't get it. But they get something else. They don't get nothing, otherwise they wouldn't be there. They get, they get the juice that is flowing out of Jesus. Why do thousands of people sit around, children, some of the accounts like in Mark, they were probably there for four days with no food, including children, maybe 8,000 people. There's some juice coming out of Jesus and he's even telling, he's telling them parables that most of them don't get. They have to be in the group that's willing to go and ask him afterwards, what did you mean by that parable and that? But they can sit and listen for days without food and with children. Why? Because there's some juice flowing out of Jesus. There's some oomph, welly, something, anointing, oomph, life, is what he calls it. They hang around the life. They can't explain the life. They don't know who he is. And I think sometimes as a church, we've thought of Jesus as the way and the truth. He's the way and the truth. If I know the way and I've got the truth, I've got the package. No, he said he was the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I don't think he meant lifestyle. I think he meant zozo life. He meant that Greek word, that the thing that breathes life, the thing that means you're standing up or sitting down and your heart keeps working, the thing that, that, that invigorates, the thing that enlivens, the thing that wakens up, the thing that motivates, the thing that envisions, the things that inspire, that's life. They stayed because they got that. He's the way and the truth and the life. I just want to say that when we do this thing on the 16th, we are thrilled that people want to be part of Hope Church, but you don't have to understand it to be part of it. I'll say that to this group. You don't have to get it. You don't have to understand me every week to feel part of it as long as you're connected to life. Hang around for the life that's good enough. We're all figuring out the rest as we go. Are you happy with that? We're still hanging around with this, the presence of Jesus going, what the heck is this? You're the son of God and you're really here. You're El Shaddai, you're God with us, you're the great I am. And actually, not are you here, you're inside us. The mind-bending thing now isn't just that there's a man standing in front of you that says God is in him. He's now saying 
that's true of you. And a lot of us haven't quite got that figured out yet. That's okay, but it doesn't make it not true. What does lack of understanding do to 21st century Western believers? It raises our anxieties. Because if someone tested me on the, was it nine values or three, or was it ten? I can't remember all of them, and if I had to pass a test on what they all were, I would probably fail. Even if it was multiple choice and I had some options, I'm sure I'd pick the wrong ones. I mean, I've been in this church five years, ten years, six months, and I, 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 can't, I can't pass the understanding test. I've been a Christian 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, five minutes, and, and I don't get it all. You know what? That's okay. This is not your advanced hires exam. It's not your university finals. It's called a relationship. How long have we been married? Nearly 39 years. I could probably pass quite a lot of tests on Teresa, but if I'm utterly, perfectly honest, after 39 years, there's some things... I do not understand. (laughs) And I know that will be utterly reciprocated. We had a moment just like that this morning. Where after all this time, I'm still behaving a certain way that drives her crazy. And as much as I've tried, it still just happens. Why are you like this? I just am. But lack of understanding drives up our anxieties. And these days, could I have my other picture up? The the big picture, that would be great if you could find it. These days, we have access to lots of information. You know, they say the average 17th century man encountered... The, the, the quantity of information he encountered in his whole life was equivalent to the contents of one edition of the Sunday Times. I don't know if you can find my, my photograph. No, the one after that? That's the one. I don't know who the guy is, but you see that big tank at the back? That is a quadzillion drillion terabytes of data center that was submerged in the sea off Orkney by Microsoft. And they did it because they could power it from uh, energy recovered from the tides. See, every time you Google, what is clapshot? Or how do I unblock my toilet? That information doesn't it's a con, it doesn't live in a cloud, it lives on some silicon chip somewhere in the known world. It's quite likely now that it lives on a silicon chip submerged in the North Sea off the coast of Orkney. You can access, you could, I mean, you, we sat in a restaurant the other, other night and I thought, I don't want to f- appear ignorant on what Clapshot is, so I googled it before I gave my order. <laughs> I've lived in Scotland long enough, I should know what this is, so to feign to feign knowledgeability, I googled the answer. 
So I'm like, yeah, sure, yeah, I'm adopted Scott now. I know what Clapshot is. Google, Google, Google. Probably came from this thing here up somewhere in Orkney. The, the point is, we can access huge amounts of information. We've been raised to know, to, to data gather, to process, to analyze, to pass tests. So when we don't understand our anxieties start to go up, and we feel like we couldn't pass the test so we don't belong. That's not the test that Jesus set the disciples. That's not the test that we're setting Hope Church. That's not the test that Jesus said to Philip. He was frustrated, but he still belonged because he was connected to the life thing. Even if he'd not understood the truth piece. Does this make sense to anybody in the room? Thanks, Nick. appreciate that. And another hand went up. I'm, I'm feeling good about that. That's good. <laughs> See, we live in a world... We live in a world... We live in a world. <laughs> Just make an easy point for a change. We live in a world. We all agreed with that, haven't we? We have to can reconnect truth and life and way. Jesus didn't list them so that we could dissect them and choose the bit of it we like the most. But we live in a culture that has elevated knowledge and understanding and reason way above experience. And we're trying to create a church where they are at least side by side, if not experience, maybe slightly ahead of knowledge and understanding. Because that's how Jesus functioned. He functioned through the life connection first, through the experience, through the encounter, through the miracles, through his presence, through that juice that was pouring out of him, and the, the understanding tagged along behind that. So we're not rejecting understanding, but we're not moving forward only with what we understand. But we live in a culture where understanding is primary. That's why we have terabytes and terabytes of stuff stuck in because we all want to understand. Nobody wants to look dumb in a restaurant. No one wants to look dumb in church. You want to feel like, well, I know what Hope Church is about. You know, yeah, we're about that presence thing. That thingy, you know, presence and that honor. That honor is really important. And there was something else. That legs. Legs were about legs. We're in a place, it's actually unbridled knowledge is potentially deceptive. And that's where you get the statements I began with where you have people saying, we don't need spiritual parents. We don't need a relational connection with people who are further on in the Lord than us. We have Google. That's saying information and knowledge trumps relational experiential connection. That's a mindset that exists. And it's not a biblical mindset. It's actually an unhealthy mindset that my knowledge can outstrip my need for experience can make me so superior that I don't need either experiences from God or ex the experiences of others who've gone before me. That's arrogant, stupid, and it means that you will fail as a believer. But that is a present thing that I've encountered, not, not here thankfully. But that's, that's an outcome of the thinking that what I know, my understanding has to be right up here. Knowledge is superior to experience. Because then you don't value experience in other people, you just value what you can find out 
and you only need Google for that. There's also a deceptive place where you have lots of experience and no knowledge. So that's why Jesus said, he is the way, the truth, and the life. These things walk together. Honestly, people start to freak out when you talk about this stuff. Because as soon as you start to say, abandon knowledge, abandon understanding, as anything but the primary and the overall way of living, it starts to feel like all the ropes are untied at the side of the dock and your boat is going out into the ocean and you're not quite sure where you're going to end up. Because everything in your training and your upbringing has told you it's important to understand. Jesus said, it's okay not to understand, just connect to my life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. How are we doing? We're doing good. Could, could I have my, uh, my diagram? I want to illustrate how this works. You okay? You can nod. This is a sort of <coughs> analysis and it's time related so if you go back to the 16th century the time of the reformation so the first circle the church not doing miracles time of the reformation the catholic church believed in miracles did they do any or not at that point I don't know they certainly said they did but at the time of the reformation so Luther the thing we celebrated, the 500 years of the Reformation only last year, most of the reformers went, it's the Bible only. We reject the argument by the Catholics that they have the right to tell us what the truth is because they do miracles. We think that's bogus. We don't believe in miracles. We believe in solo, solo scriptorum, just the scriptures. And pretty much to a man, although it's, not, it's never completely the case, the majority of reformers that wrote, did lots of our early Bible translation, wrote lots of the, uh, or is a source for a lot of the commentaries that we read, were pretty much cessationists. They didn't believe in apostles, prophets, or they didn't believe in miracles, signs, and wonders. They believed they all either ended with the conclusion of the scriptures or the end of the, when the first apostles died, some version of that. Basically a long, long time ago since. Right, so that, and the church is big. The Reformed Church across Western Europe is massive. Massive influence, massive influence in society. And then a century or so later, you get this thing happening with all these philosophers and basically they start to say, we don't see miracles, miracles don't exist. And they build philosophies, and, and some, some of them, I mean, the, the most famous Scottish one was David Hume. There's a whole bunch of them that went through this. And they end up with something that says, we don't see miracles, miracles don't exist. Therefore, if you ever see one, it's to be treated with the utmost skepticism. Because really, they don't exist. And that affected the church as well, so that it's still out there in church life that actually if you see a miracle because they're stopped happening by the name of Jesus, then it's probably the devil that did it. Or it's a fake. Yeah, so those are the options. It's fake, it's the devil, or it's Jesus. They've discounted that it's Jesus, so it can only be the devil or fake. 
the philosophers said, it's all fake. It's all mumbo-jumbo. The trouble was, once you get to the place that any miracle claim is treated with skepticism, by you get to the time you get to the 1800s, all these people, these philosophers are, philosophers are saying, you believe in the book. You believe in the Bible. That's, what, that's your reference point. But you're saying the Bible is full of miracles, and you're saying the fact the Bible exists is a miracle. That God preserved the canon of Scripture, that the people that put it together were inspired by the Holy Spirit, possibly somewhere in the third century, and that was a miracle. But we don't see miracles. Miracles are to be treated with suspicion, therefore your Bible is suspect. And you get this whole way of interpreting the Bible that, that became liberal and non-literal because miracles don't exist, therefore your miracle Bible is suspect, therefore go figure. The church's respond was with reason, not miracles, because still most of the church didn't believe in miracles. So it did archaeology. It did history. It did source documents. And if you've ever done the Alpha course, we have done a good job at this thing called apologetics. And there is a lot of great source material to show you the authentic nature of the origins of the Old and the New Testament. It's bona fide. It's the best book in history. I could go on about it because I love it. But the point is, we're still working on the same level that the culture is coming at us. We're saying, you have got to give us a reason. And we're saying, here's our reason. They're saying, we don't believe your reason because it doesn't make any sense to us. Do you get it? And so the world still doesn't believe because it's not seeing the Jesus that walked the earth 2,000 years ago. It's only seeing a peace. It's maybe seeing truth and maybe seeing a way, but it's not encountering the life. And Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. Do you see? Somebody somewhere has got to break the chain. Somebody somewhere has got to say, this isn't true. And we're going to press through our doubts. We're going to press through our misunderstandings. We're going to press through our need to understand everything, which is what this system produces even in us. And we're going to go after experiences of heaven coming to earth. So you've got to be brave enough to go through the discomfort, the not understanding, the failures and the disappointments to go, we're going to break the cycle because what the world wants to see is Jesus who is the way, the truth and the life. What the world is aching for is the Jesus that, that Philip was looking for. They're looking for the Father. Show us the Father. All right, last passage and we're on time. If you turn to... <coughs> Luke, chapter 7, Luke seven eighteen. You had this sort of journey of praying for the sick and some people seeing angels and trances and experiences and joy poured out and people falling... There's times I've sat in my study and said, Lord, this is so uncomfortable. Can I not retreat to the comfortable arena that I understood a few years ago where I can teach the Bible? I can do a half-decent job of exegeting Romans to you and we could all go home happy and think we know what we all talked about and all agree and on we go. 
it would be kind of nice and cozy for me to do that, but I just don't feel I have the permission because I want to break this cycle. Luke 7 is where John the Baptist, who anointed Jesus, baptized Jesus, is in prison and he sends his disciples. John sends his disciples to Jesus. The disciples of John, verse 18, reported all these things to him and John, calling to his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, listen to this, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? I believe the whole world has been asking the church that question for 2,000 years. Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? And if they don't find the one who is to come, they're going to look somewhere else. And they've been looking somewhere else because they've not been finding the answer from the church that the church needs to give. They've not been finding the way, truth, and life, Jesus. So what does Jesus do? Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying... Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Very good disciples, they said exactly what they were told to say. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them and said, Go tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are given good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. That's hard for us to hear as Westerners. We've built a big church. We have fantastic worship. We have got great reasons. No, his answer wasn't any of that. It's, I am confronting you with the reality of heaven. Make a choice, John. You can be offended at me or you can believe the truth that I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. The one you baptized me as is the one I am and the proof is what I'm doing right here. That's a tough ask to break that cycle. I believe the Western world is hungry for the real Jesus. The 100%, not just the people of good character and nice, as good as that is. Not the people who could just give us a good hermeneutic. That's good and wonderful, but the people who can give them an encounter with the real Jesus. Because they've had an encounter with the real Jesus and they continually live an encounter with the real Jesus. That's why we do this conference. If you haven't had an encounter with the real Jesus for a couple of months, come. You need one. If you don't know how to have an encounter with the real Jesus, come because we'll help you find out. If you would like to give your friends an encounter with the real Jesus, come because then if you've had one, you can give it away. You can't give away what you don't have. It's not just the way and the truth. Oh, it's felt so cozy back in understanding. Oh, it's like a little warm blanket of, I get it all, I've got all the verses, my doctrines are lined up. I get the truth. I know that he died for me. I know that he raised from the dead and I'm going to heaven, my sins are forgiven. Let's just preach that. It's so much easier than all this raising the dead, healing the sick stuff. 
I believe the world will continue to look for another. This gets bumpy. Our instincts, our instincts of understand, like, I've got two minutes. You've heard to say this, you've heard it from the Bethel guys, that a testimony is a prophecy about what God is going to do. You heard that? So we share a testimony. I've got testimonies I'd like to share with you right now. And it should be a trigger to that happening again with the people that hear it. That happens if the first instinct that happens inside of me is different to, I really need more information about that healing before I can believe it. I would have liked to have been there. Could I see the doctor's report? Now, I'm not against more information. I'm not against doctor's report. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We're trying, to com- we're trying to lift up the value of experience and encounter and demonstration so that it's not always trumped by understanding. But if you have to understand it first, then suddenly that testimony will start to evaporate in terms of its ability to have impact on your personal life. Because what happens is the faith that can rise up from the story about what God did starts to get squished down by all these questions that we have which are not illegitimate questions. It's just which priority do you give them and our training in life has given us the instinct to say I've got to understand it first. I need more evidence. Please, I would love to have been there. I'd love to put my fingers in the holes. You know, that whole thing is what triggers off inside of us. And by the time we've gone through all that, the juice is gone. I'll give you a testimony or two or three. You ready? Because if you have this in the room, you can get healed today. Uh, I was in Orkney where they buried that thing in the sea. And uh, the last time I went, a lady who had no moisture in her mouth, so some problem she has with all of her glands. And in the thing I do, which is just Jesus is healing people, check it out suddenly her mouth flooded with moisture. So I saw her this time now, a year later, and she said, yeah, I can still spit good. <laughs> she didn't demonstrate, thankfully. So I said, well, what? So I prayed for her again, and then her eyes started to fill with moisture. So I don't know, maybe you have a glandular issue. This testimony's for you this morning. Don't go, I wish I was there. Show me the proof. This lady's still spitting, so could you. Let the faith come up inside you. I had a guy who was just sitting there and his shoulder just clicked. He went click, click. This is what he said. He went click, click and he put his hand up and he said, I can't do this. I'm not supposed to do this. I was in some sort of motor vehicle accident 10 years ago. Something happened to my shoulder. But I just heard it click as you said, test it out. And I can't, I can't do this but I am doing it because... Jesus healed me. Had a lady come up suffering from fibromyalgia, which is a, 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 a mystery disease. Help me with this, Nick. But is that fair enough? A resident GP and consultant on these things. And she was in severe pain. She had problems with uh, her muscles and her neck. And I prayed for her. And all her pain disappeared and all her movement returned. A guy came up to me at the end. 
said, I had some really long technical words, spondylosis in the neck. There was another word in front of that word, which I didn't understand, but what I understood was he had a lot of pain in his neck and he'd lost that movement. So here it comes. Jesus healed him. All his pain went, and he's doing this. So somebody in this room has got joint pain, movement difficulties. That's for you. If you've got a, a mystery disease with aches and pains in your body, that's for you. It can happen for you right now. I didn't do the healings. Nothing actually to do with me other than I was willing to go, is anybody healed? I stuck my neck out. I keep sticking my neck out. That's the really uncomfortable bit. Sticking your neck out is the hardest part. I'm sticking my neck out. Check it out. Check out your neck. Check out your... Whatever the word is in front of spondylitis, check yours out. That's probably... that's Ankylosing. Ankylosing. That's what it sounded like. Ankylosing spondylitis. I was going for the more general, if it's... If it's spondylitis-ing, it could be healed. All right, can we go with that? So if you have any of those conditions, because we're running out of time, I'd love you to come up. Whether you feel healed or not, I'd love you to come up. I'd love to pray with you, because I believe God's released healing for you this morning in any condition of that nature, because I just gave a testimony. Do you understand why that works? Do I understand why that works? No. But I'm partnering with the one who's the life as well as the truth. All right? Is that okay? Can we do that? If you're sitting here going, I don't even know if I believe in Jesus, today's your day. You don't need a ton of understanding. You just need to know that he's the way, the truth, and the life. You're in. If that's you, I'd love to talk with you. And there's a ministry team that's going to appear over here really rapidly, I'm hoping, that could talk with you as well. Just over on my side here. That's what we're going to do. So, Let's just pray and then we're going to get our children back in. You're invited to refreshments. What a great, I've had a great time, thank you. Thank you, Andy. Let's just stand together. Father, thank you. You don't require full understanding or comprehension. Thank God. Still don't get you, Lord. Uh, But we do know you're a healing, beautiful, wonderful God. And uh, we just declare healing this morning, salvation this morning, fresh revelation this morning, joy this morning. There's any box we put you in, you don't belong in. And we, we, we give you permission to escape right now in Jesus' name. So Amen. Amen. So if those conditions specifically relate to you, I would like to pray with you. If you want to make Jesus the way, the truth, and the life, if you have any other need in your life, we have a wonderful team. They would love to pray with you because faith got released in this room this morning for God to do miracles because he's trumping your understanding with his revelation and his power. Amen. Have an amazing, almighty week.